Friends in Art welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring along your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Peter Alchel. Welcome to the Friends in Art Art Parlor podcast. My name is Peter Altschul. I am the program chair of Friends in Art and also the scholarship chair of Friends in Art. And the person we'll be interviewing today is a 2020 Friends in Art scholarship winner. I believe she also won a ACB scholarship at the same time, Megan Downing. Megan, welcome to the Art Parlor. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter. It's super fun to, to reconnect and to be here today. Really looking forward to it. We, we're thrilled to have you. And I should also say that Megan has agreed to serve on the Friends in Art board, which we're thrilled about. And we, we we're really looking forward to getting her input on a number of issues. So again, welcome. I'd like to start way back in 2020 when we gave you a scholarship for that year. Who were you in 2020? I had just graduated high school and I was so excited to receive a scholarship from Friends in Art as well as ACB. So it was it was my first time kind of joining the ACB community and, you know, never turned back. So that's exciting. And I was I was just graduating high school. So obviously the best year to graduate high school is 2020. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but I was right about to head off to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And I guess my first couple semesters were virtual. But um, yeah, I was just just about to head out there for my freshman year. So um, and, and now I'm so, going into senior year. So and briefly talk about your high school experience. What kind of things were you doing in high school <laughs> musically, especially? I was doing kind of a lot of things. But I would say that I definitely started off with playing guitar pretty seriously. That's when I first started getting into guitar was like the end of junior high, beginning of high school. So I was learning a bunch of really cool finger style stuff and playing just like a ton of of guitar and stuff like that. And I wasn't, I was just starting to get into singing. But then once I went to high school, um, my high school had a really, really wonderful choir program that I joined and completely fell in love with singing in high school. And I joined the band as a lead singer and kind of just combined my two loves for singing and playing guitar into one. And then I started doing a ton of gigs and shows playing and singing and as well as continuing my journey of pursuing acoustic guitar styles um, with yeah the same path. So I auditioned for Berkeley at the end of my or I guess like during my the beginning of my senior year on acoustic guitar and I was admitted for guitar. Yeah, so I've been studying acoustic guitar and kind of have branched off into playing more electric styles since being at Berkeley. And they're really good at getting you to really diversify the different styles that you're playing. So that's something I'm really excited to say now that I've played a ton of different styles like jazz and finger style, blues. Um, a little bit of rock, um, and then I'm really getting into bluegrass styles right now. So it's kind of fun awesome. to like look at my musical journey from high school and then seeing how Berkeley influenced my life as well. 
So talk about your first two years. Oh, before we do that, you mentioned uh, singing and uh, playing in the band. I assume you do not mean the marching band, right? You mean something else. Yeah, more of a rock style band because I at school I was doing singing, not not um, marching band. And then outside of my school time, I was doing band like rock band style. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure that uh, we didn't confuse the listeners, which are. So talk about your first two years at Berkeley and, you know, sort of what you learned and how you adapted as a visually impaired student. Yeah, absolutely. I So I've actually completed three years at Berkeley. This is my fourth year. And obviously the first year was kind of weird with COVID. I was living at home in California for the first semester and kind of figuring that stuff out. And then I finally got to move to Boston at the beginning of 2021. And it was definitely an adjustment with so many different things, including weather and (laughs) moving to a city. I'm from like a medium-sized town in California, Santa Barbara, where there's not a ton of transportation or opportunity to be like super independent as far as like getting around town. And then going to Boston and having kind of like the whole world at my fingertips with being an independent blind woman living in a city. So it was definitely an adjustment period, but like a really exciting adjustment period. I've always been raised to be kind of like a go-getter and and trying to not let my visual impairment stop me from doing a bunch of things. So being able to move to a city that provided those opportunities was really cool and it still impacted me to this day. But being a blind musician there has been a really wonderful experience because they offer a really cool program for the blind and visually impaired. Um, And there's a teacher there who completely opened my world to so many different um, technological advances for the visually impaired musician. His name is Chi Kim, and he runs an accessible uh, technology lab there. And he is a Berkeley grad himself. And he actually, now he's a professor there. And so there's like a huge community of blind musicians there, which we all learn and grow from each other and really try to be like the most independent we can as musicians who are blind. And it's, yeah, it's a really wonderful experience to be able to like advocate for yourself. And it's pretty accepting. It's like a very accepting environment for the the blind and visually impaired. So excuse me if I interrupt to brag a little bit. Friends in Art was involved with getting that mm-hmm. program that you talked about, Megan, started. And we're really thrilled that it's moving along. I know that there's had been some challenges with the program, but I'm glad that it's 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 doing what it's supposed to be doing. So can you talk a little more about academics? What are the kinds of courses you, again, for the first two years, we'll talk about your third year upcoming, but I want to focus on the first two years a little longer. So what kind of courses did you take? What what sort of music stuff did you perform? That kind of stuff. So the first two years at Berkeley, a lot of your classes are, you know, core music, like ear training and theory. And so I was, I was really kind of honing in my skills for like a lot of jazz theory and a lot of um, ear training, which completely shifted my ability to like play guitar and have a deeper connection to music. So that's one of the really cool things about Berkeley is they really drill in those skills within your first couple semesters there. Um, so I was able to really flourish as a musician and kind of like what I was talking about earlier, really kind of learning about different musical styles. So I think I, I joined an ensemble that, and we were playing some Joni Mitchell stuff, um, Joni Mitchell style mm-hmm. guitar, which is really cool to learn how to play in a bunch of different tunings. Um, I had already been playing in a couple of tunings, but they really encouraged like writing your own music in, in different tunings and playing, um, 
like, I don't know, that was a really special class that I took. And then I also was taking some other Berkeley ensembles, such as like, I took a jazz uh, ensemble where they place you in a band with a drummer and a bass player and a keyboard player. And there was no singer in the band. So that was kind of fun to be able to play like a, a style that I've never really got into. So I was taking a lot of those classes. And then at the end of my second year, that's kind of when you choose your major at Berkeley. And I was really debating between music education and music therapy. And I watched a couple of videos on the majors at Berkeley. And I had like a very interesting reaction to music therapy. I like when I heard what it was and watched a bunch of videos about it, I like burst into tears and had this like super dramatic like epiphany that I was like, I need to do this. So I started taking the intro class for music therapy and completely fell in love with it. And I've been in the major ever since. Um, in it's just a really wonderful sub community at Berkeley, and I have the best friends in the world from there. And it's been fun to like learn different ways to help other people through music because that's you know we can all relate to having some healing and therapeutic reactions to music, but then being able to provide that for other people has been a huge part of my curriculum at Berkeley, um, as well as like focusing on different instruments in the major. You have to be pretty proficient on keyboards, hand percussion, guitar, and voice. So that's been cool to kind of learn how to play those instruments for performing, but also for um, therapeutic reasons to help my clients and stuff like that. So that's so really can you talk a little more about your sort of dramatic epiphany to become a music therapy major? Were there other things in your prior life that sort of steered you in that direction in retrospect looking back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've played in a lot of old folks homes and did some work in a memory care unit. And I didn't like necessarily know that music therapy was a thing, but I totally saw, I was like, wow, this is a really special experience. I went to a memory care unit and as the, the guests were getting wheeled in, the body language was showing like a lot of them were sleeping and kind of just like not super present, obviously. But as soon as the music started, a lot of their body language and body posture lifted and they were smiling and they were singing along. And it completely like changed the mood of the room. And I saw people that were talking, um, like they couldn't remember what they had for breakfast, but they remembered all of the lyrics to like the James Taylor song I was playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely had moments like that. And I also, um, had been teaching private lessons to people with special needs and developmental delays. So that has been something I've been really interested in. And I had done some work with the special education department at my high school. So there was a lot of things that I had been doing that maybe a lot of music therapists would also be interested in, in pursuing as well. So then I think that the epiphany moment that I had was like, wow, I've already been kind of doing aspects of music therapy. Obviously, I'm not a licensed music therapist and I didn't have training, but like aspects of how music can help other people. I've been seeing that my whole life. So then kind of realizing that that could be my career choice was definitely the epiphany that I had where I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. And, you know, throughout all my classes that I've taken so far, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of reading and writing and pretty intense classes. But I get so emotional in these classes. Like I literally will just like start crying after seeing someone learn how to speak again after having a stroke because of music therapy. And I'll get chills. And it's just like, it's such a blessing to be able to 
be so passionate about what I'm studying at college. So it's, it's really so Megan, this is Nancy. Hi, Nancy. And, um, Hey there. Um, in your music therapy classes, do they have you students to have opportunities? I know that you did that in high school, but do they, in, in your classes, do you also go to places where you can apply that directly, like the nursing homes or the different yeah, yeah, yeah. special ed classes? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, Part of the curriculum at Berkeley is we have kind of, it's not like the same level as a nursing school, but you know, to become a nurse or a doctor, you have these things called like clinicals or practicums. So we have the same thing where we have to take four practicums and they kind of like slowly increase. So I just finished my first one in the spring and I was working at a children's hospital in Boston and I was observing a music therapist working with a couple different classrooms in conjunction with a speech language pathologist. And so I was able to watch how a music therapist was helping young kids who have different medical complexities and different disabilities work on communication skills or social goals or things like that. And then the next one is a little bit more hands-on. So it kind of slowly increases to the fourth clinical where you're leading some sessions perhaps. And then The last six months of my major, I apply to intern with a music therapist anywhere in the country, and you have to complete a certain amount of clinical hours with them in order to sit with um, for the exam. So that's kind of what I've been able to like watch a music therapist and I got to lead a song with the classroom and then it will slowly increase as I go on throughout my major, which is really cool to be able to like get hands-on experiences before sitting for the exam or doing an internship or something like that. So Megan, you, you're totally blind, correct? I'm, I'm not. I have Stargardt's disease. I Okay. So because yeah. I was curious, you, you talked about body language uh, earlier. And yeah. um, so how much of that can you observe yourself? I mean, the, the change from, as you said, sort of uh, more passive to active to use a, the, the term that comes to mind. Are you able to see that yourself, as it were? Or did you get sort of feedback from others? as well. That's a great question. That's actually something I've been trying to work on with the with the music therapy department at Berkeley too is like figuring out how I can do that because a lot of especially nonverbal clients, there's a lot of things that I miss with Stargardt's disease. I don't have any detail vision or central vision. So if people are closer to me, I can kind of see like bigger body gestures so like posture changes and things like that but as far as facial expressions I cannot see so um, that's something that I've been trying to kind of like figure out different adaptive skills that I can use and it's definitely been helpful to like have time to kind of discuss changes that my um, supervisors are seeing in sessions and just clarify with them be like hey I, I missed that like what can do you mind describing what happened when we played this song um, like what was the client's re- like physical reactions to it like I can hear the verbal reaction but I can't see if she was smiling or if she was um, like change turning away from the music or things like that so I've been I've been definitely trying to figure out like skills on how I can get some of those smaller detail um, things so I can understand what the client needs. But I definitely think a lot of music therapy is, is like spiritual too. So it's like, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm, it's definitely a learning process to figure out how I can kind of get those, those cues Uh, down. I'll be curious to see what you learn because um, 
my, my, my experience doing not musical therapy, but sort of running groups is that a lot of the um, visual cues are mirrored by audio cues. Yeah. And so I found that really helpful. Um, yeah. That's and great. also there are lots of applications. Some of it is in the nonverbal, but I know I did my paper in graduate school about developing a music therapy program in a rehab center. And yeah. one of the things, you know, is like people, for example, someone that has trouble with an arm might be prescribed to learn to play the slide trombone. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there are lots of applications to music therapy. And, oh, and so there's, yeah. So Megan, your third year obviously was a major change in a number of ways. Start with your fall semester. Where did you study? I got the experience to study at the Valencia, Spain campus of Berkeley oh, wow. College of Music. So I was living in Spain from um, like late August to December for the fall semester last year. And so what kinds of things did you do there in Spain? Oh my gosh, the the list is endless. It was easily the coolest thing I've, I've done in my life so far. Um, I traveled all over Europe. I think I went to like seven different countries as well as doing some traveling within Spain, as well as taking classes um, at the Berkeley campus. So I was able to focus on some Spanish speaking skills that I had learned a little bit in high school, but then I kind of just like sent it there and just spoke as much Spanish as I could to develop those skills. I think learning another language is really important. So um, I've been working on that. And uh, yeah, I got to travel to England and Ireland and France and the Netherlands. And there's there's a ton more Italy, which is also a really important skill to learn as a blind person, learning how to travel in another country, especially if they're not English speakers. So I definitely had to learn a lot of advocating skills that I thought that I was pretty good at advocating for myself. But obviously, when you're when you're in a different country and different cultures, there's going to be different ways that you kind of have to adapt your advocating skills. So that has been a really wonderful tool. It wasn't the easiest thing, but it definitely made me feel more confident with those skills as well. So did, talk about did some- you get to practice Spanish guitar? I didn't as much. Unfortunately, I wasn't taking any guitar classes while I was there. Um, Uh The classes that they offer at the Valencia campus are a lot of the core classes that I was talking about earlier. So um, Uh I, at that point in my education, just took like a lot of the theory classes that I still had to take and some history classes. I got to take a really interesting Spanish culture class. So I feel like while I was there, I think it's important to when you travel to learn about the places that you're visiting. Uh, I think it adds more meaning. So it was really cool to learn about Spanish history and especially in Valencia um, specifically and learn about the yeah their their whole thing. And um, so, yeah, that, that was a really cool thing, although I didn't take the Spanish guitar class. So can you say a little more about the advocacy skills and sort of the travel skills you developed traveling around Europe? Talk a little more about what that meant to you and how you developed them. Anything that sort of comes to mind about that facet of your of your education? Yeah, absolutely. So my school was a 30 minute walk from where I was living. And obviously the part of town I was in, they didn't have the like walking sidewalk or like the talking sidewalk indicators uh, to when you can cross the street. And the 
orientation mobility is a little bit different there as far as like traffic patterns and stuff like that. And the time of year that I went was during this, like it's pretty traditional in European cultures to have like a holiday. And so the person who was lined up to do my orientation skills was on a holiday for like three weeks. So I had to figure out how to get to school when it's a 30 minute walk or like a 20 minute bus, like, or a 10 minute bus ride, but, you know, learning how to find where the bus stop is. And thank God I had some friends there to help me out, but really having to push that skill and being like, Hey, I I really need orientation skills to be safe in this city. And in order for me to get to class, like that should be a thing. So once I got the, um, well, the, the funny story, I guess, is that I'm not like super fluent in Spanish, especially when I first arrived there. And my orientation mobility person, who's like, she's a really sweet lady, but she did not speak one word of English. <laughs> so there's a, there a lot of, uh, you know, coming together on both ends of things of her not speaking uh, very much English and me trying to get by with like the little amount of Spanish that I knew when I first went there. So I got that sorted out and I learned how to take different buses and I got a bunch of different apps on my phone that are good for the transportation that was in Valencia, like the trains and the buses. And um, I had to use my cane a lot more than I usually do as far as like identification and streets that I don't know. So that was one part of it that was kind of an interesting adjustment for me. And then the second adjustment would be like flying and like getting through security and like boarding the plane a little bit early. Like there wasn't a ton of, at least for me when I fly in the US, like I do a lot of the pre-boarding. So I'm not like, I have a lot of time to like, I'm good to get onto the plane. But then there it would be interesting because I'd be like, hey, I need need pre-boarding or I need assistance getting on this plane. And then I would end up standing there while the entire plane boards. And then they're like, uh, oh, sorry, we forgot to like. There's certain things like that where I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is completely different. But I I was safe the whole time, and I I I definitely think that as a person who has low vision and who maybe in the past has been more hesitant to use a cane, the cane has now become like my best friend when I travel and I need it with me at all times. So that was another big learning curve for me, realizing that like. I, I need to use the cane and it was so incredibly helpful to have that with me as an identification tool, but also as a safety tool for me. So you talked about traveling all over Europe. What did you do during that traveling, during all that traveling experience? Yeah, I just, I really wanted to get out there. I had traveled all over Italy when I was in eighth grade, but I, I've always been wanting to go to like different parts of Europe and my friend group from Boston ended up tra- wanting to do the Talking. same study Megan abroad. Talking. So I Megan had like 12 of my best friends Talking. there, including um, someone Talking. else from Megan Santa Barbara. Downey. He's like my best friend and he decided to go to Berkeley and do study abroad at the same time. So we traveled all over Europe and we took turns planning the different trips and booking Airbnbs and the travel to get there. So we kind of just were we only got little weekend trips or like four day trips because we were also in school. Sure. So within the the four day, five day trips that we were taking, we were trying to see like as much um, of the cities as we could. So we did like all the classic sightseeing in London and saw all of those wonderful architecture landmarks and stuff like that. But also um, my friend was from London. So we got to stay with her family and 
So there was a lot of really cool different trips that we took, depending on who is planning the trip, kind of depicted on what we did in each city. So I planned the Ireland trip. So we did a lot of like, um, you know, I, I love Irish music. So we did a lot of stuff involved yeah. clubs and, and listening to fiddle music and dancing and just having a great time. So that was kind of my trip that I planned was like pretty heavily music based and um, especially within those like Irish fiddle and stuff like that. So that's really wonderful. So um, now I want to turn another corner because Megan, you've been performing in our showcase for the past three years, solo guitar stuff, which was fabulous. And then she also year, was a hostess. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. Last year. She was yeah. a host. I, I forgot about that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that was also terrific. And then this year, when we, when we asked you to send us something, you sent us something that I did not anticipate getting from you, which was, <laughs> a, which was an original song. Talk about your songwriting experience. I definitely was late to the songwriting club, like compared to my other friends in high school and in college, they were just writing so much music. And I always had this weird thing where I was like, oh, no, I can't write music. And I don't know where that came from or why I thought that. But then I was like, okay, I think it was my sophomore year of college, some year two, I'd been kind of dabbling and trying to do a little bit of songwriting. And I was like, okay, Meg, like, we're going to sit down and write a song. This is ridiculous. Like, there should be no reason why you can't write music. So I just started writing every day. Even if it was bad, I would just keep going and I would just come up with different chord progressions and different song lyrics and, and random things. And then the first full song I completed was at the end of my sophomore year. And I found a love for writing country music and folk music. And that's kind of where I've landed since then. And I've written a couple originals. And I actually got the experience to record one of them in Spain. I'm not sure if I'm stealing your thunder, Peter, if you're going to ask. You are not. That's that's perfect. So so I heard that song. It's called Little Luck or something like that. Any luck. Yeah, any luck. Um, So talk, uh, we're going to play it in a second. Jason. Um, but before we do that, um, what was the history of that song? What prompted you to write about that situation specifically? <laughs> it's an unusual song. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. So talk about sort of what prompted you to write about that particular subject. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's funny. I guess I left this part out. But part of the reason why I wanted to start songwriting is because I was in this um, kind of off and on long distance relationship with someone at home and I was in Boston and it was like the classic uh, girl in college um, missing her her man at home like in a completely different state so it was like a, a young love situation I was like I have too many feelings about this I need to to start songwriting so I started writing a song and I showed it to a friend of mine and he was like, oh, this is so great. Like, let's just sit down and finish it. So he helped me with some of the the chord progressions and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, this is like my first full song I ever written. And I really wanted to record it and put it out there. So um, Any Luck is kind of just about being in a relationship that may not be the best, but trying to grow from that and um, kind of the push and pull of a relationship that's on and off. But but it it strikes me as being more than that. It strikes me as being sort of 
I don't want to say abusive is too strong a word, but it's 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 not as if that you are looking for you you know uh, looking forward to talking to this person after a while. You know, I'll give him a call because I have nothing else better to do. But hopefully, he won't be home. Right? Um, do I have that right? I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. It definitely, it was like definitely the the ending of the the song, um, which you'll hear, is kind of saying like, I know this relationship is not gonna last and i know it's not good for me but it's hard for me to let go of this relationship sure that's that, a, that, that's definitely what it was that's so country too right I yeah mean, it's it, very it's, country it's, it's so yeah. country it's great so before we play it talk about the experience recording it i mean it, it's a fairly elaborate production as i remember it and uh, typically berkeley as i went to berkeley too and have similar experiences mm-hmm. so talk about the, the whole experience what role did you play in the recording process and the arranging yeah know, yeah so how that works. um so in Spain, they have one of the really cool things about the Berkeley campus is that they have state-of-the-art recording studios that students can use. So I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to just kind of get in the studio, like no pressure, and just see what happens. And I had one of my close friends who is also studying at Berkeley. He was taking a minor in Valencia that was a recording and production minor. So I asked him if he would be willing to work on this project with me. And he actually had to, at the end of the semester, turn in a fully produced and mastered mixed song. So I asked him to, he he was like, oh my gosh, why don't I use this for my final project? So we kind of were both benefiting from this experience. And then um, I know I mentioned this friend earlier, but like my best friend since we were 12, he was in Valencia with me. And he is an outstanding musician and an arranger. And he knows me super well as a musician and as a person. So I asked him to kind of sit in and and help me kind of arrange the song and create it. So I knew I had a couple reference tracks that I was like, oh, I really like this, the drums on this song. I really want it to be like kind of a shuffle feel. Um, I want there to be like a mandolin. And then he kind of um, together, the three of us, um, we kind of created this arrangement and I played a acoustic guitar and I sang on it. And then my other friend actually played every single instrument on it, except for mandolin. And we had another good friend come in and kind of like write the mandolin parts. But uh, my friend Trevor, the one I was talking about, he played drums, bass, piano, and slide guitar on it. So he's in and, and electric guitar as well. So we kind of arranged it together, but I would not have been able to do this without both of my friends there and kind of like one of the beautiful things about music is the collaborative nature of it and writing music. So that was also a really cool experience. And the song means a lot to me because of, of the work that we all put in together. So let's play it, Jason. But this winter has been brutal And I really need to hear you say my name Cause you and I are tied up in some strange Twisted ways and I keep coming back each time Even though we both knew this wouldn't last forever 
It's just, it just sets everything. Oh, it's you. great. And the other thing is, you know, introducing a song, that's fine. But your song stands on its own. Yeah, it does. Oh, it does. oh yeah. 
Thank you. With all this talk about, well, (laughs) you say this and it means that and whatever. No, it's right there. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, that's the thing about that song. It's like, it's hard for me to describe it because I feel like in music in general, like especially with some of these situations, I'm like, it sounds so corny, but like, I feel like music in general, a lot of the time can speak for itself. So thank you for saying that. And it doesn't, it doesn't need a lot of explaining. No. No, it, it doesn't. It's like, hey, just listen to it, okay? And then tell me what you think. Yeah. And this is this, uh, is, thank you. this is Jason. And I, first of all, this song is a major earworm for me. Oh, my goodness. I get it really stuck in my head. Uh, and I love it. I think one of the aspects that speaks to me is it has all these textures. Like, yes, yeah. there's the mandolin, there's the guitar. But first, your voice is has this mild chorus effect, but there's no echo really. So you've got this certain effect with your voice and then suddenly it opens up with, with the refrain and you get this more echo going on. And I just love how those little details just do it for me. Like how did, how did all those things get thought out? And, and was it something that you said, Oh, I want, I want no echo here, but I want echo there. Or was it all sort of just coming together as part of the arrangement as you went along? First of all, thank you, Jason, because you <laughs> I'm sure hear a lot of music. So that is very sweet of you. Thank oh, you. Wonderful. Um, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. But definitely it all kind of came together there was parts of the song where I was like in the second verse where it kind of gets pretty staccato and it's like, I've never been so good. And um, so that part, I really wanted to be like very locked in, like less flowy, you know, just like very mm-hmm. staccato. Um, and then to open up really big for that, like you and I are top in some strange, like that pre-chorus going into the second chorus. Yes. I really wanted to be kind of washy and big and then kind of bouncy in the in in the second chorus where it has the walking bass line and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so there's definitely parts of it but then also i'm really picky about the way that my vocals are produced mm-hmm. um and i really wanted it to be on the lighter end of things lizzie mcalpine i'm not sure if you know her um she's a really wonderful artist she's been kind of like Uh, doing a lot of really cool things the last couple of years. And she's always been a huge influence of mine as a songwriter. And the way that she has this one EP that's like very kind of unplugged and it's very simple. And I really like the way that her voice was produced on that. So I use that as kind of a reference for my producer. And I was like, hey, I really want my vocals, at least at the beginning, to be very like light and and kind of like not overproduced like I wanted to sound pretty raw and that in those first parts and then but I I mean to be honest the production side of things I have to owe it all to my friend who did it um and he's actually the one who helped me write it too so he did kind of the post-production stuff and he is a genius as far as the far wow. as those like production different reverbs and whatever to treat vocals and and as well as the right. whole in general so it was kind of a group effort, but I, I owe all that stuff to him. I'm not a huge fan of production um, at all. It drives me nuts. Like, I've tried to like it, but I just get so frustrated. <laughs> so I realize well, that I'm it's different. like horse. Yeah. It's like horseradish. There's such a thing as too much of a good thing. Yeah. Ex- I, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it. So I was like, I, I've tried to like doing the production engineering side of things. And I'm like, I... We'll write the songs and I'll sing and I'll come into the studio, 
but it's not a good idea. Like I just get so frustrated. So mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, that mm-hmm. answers your question, I guess. Oh, it does. So Megan, you. I, I have a question. So your friend used this song for his final Yes. Um, so what was, how did he do? <laughs> he did really well, I think. So he, he's actually, what happened was um, we had to rush because we were traveling so much. So like one day we did, I think we did the keyboard, the keys and like maybe even the bass and the final vocal all in the same day. Like we oh, were wow. the, the entire day and we were about to fly home. So he just took the stems um, he did like a, a quick mix and master for his class, but the teacher really liked it. But as far as like releasing it, I had someone like the friend that I was talking about who helped me write it. Like he did all of the mastering and the mixing here in Santa Barbara. Oh, but, okay. So my friend who recorded it, he did all of the engineering parts, but I think he did really, I think the teacher enjoyed it, which was really sweet to <laughs> hear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In general, That's cool. Was, yeah, I think, and it was fun because I think the same thing is actually going to happen this upcoming semester. I have a song that I think we're going to be listening to in a little bit. Um, it's called Wednesday and um, a friend needs to do it for, it's a different friend, but he needs to have a fully produced song by the end of the semester. So I think I'm going to record that song with him because he needs it for a school project. So it's kind of cool that it's like I have at the the amazing thing about Berkeley is like I could be sitting next to like the next best producer in the United States, like in a couple of years. And we just get to work together and collaborate on all, all these really wonderful things at Berkeley. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is one of the most amazing parts of Berkeley. I mean, I without going into great detail, I spent two summers there learning how to produce how to arrange songs among other mm-hmm. things and it and they're really good at it they were good at it then and they're mm-hmm. obviously still good at it now you know yeah. um, you know that's a really good production and a really good arrangement uh and especially as you describe what you're looking for you know whoever, whoever mm-hmm. did that did a really good job and berkeley does a really good job with that kind of stuff compared to yeah. any other music school that i'm aware of they 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 are they pride themselves at teaching people how to do this stuff and they're really good at it they're so um, good at it. Yeah, they're very, very good at it. So, Megan, talk about the song of Wednesday. I, you know, I, I, Nancy's point is well taken. About so, let's do it this way: play the song Wednesday, and let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah this, is, this is a um, a voice memo that I took of me singing it. So it's it's an unplugged version, but hopefully the the plugged version will come out soon. <laughs> okay. So let's yeah. let's let's hear Wednesday, and and then we'll talk about it. Cool. Wednesday, and you're the reason why spot always in 
instead of you. Oh, and you're the reason why I'm born drunk on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, I tried beer and whiskey. Oh, that didn't feel so right. I even tried being sober. Mm, so I couldn't sleep. He left people with me, so I'm left here with Kim. But the bottom I've cold to touch, and it's warmer than him. So now I'm drinking instead of thinking of you. You're the reason why I'm one drunk on a Wednesday, and you're the reason why this bottle's always empty at the end of the Keep thinking that eventually you'll come back, but that's delusional, and I'm stuck in the past. So I'm drowning my thoughts, and Scott always all that I got instead of you. Oh, and you're the reason why I'm, you're the reason why I'm, you're the reason why I'm, why I'm drunk on a Wednesday afternoon. Wow, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow. A day late. I've, but that's I've been it. there. I've done that. I gotta say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something we've all struggled with at some point. That's mm. what I like about your music, Megan. It's just it. It yeah. gets right to it. It's very real. Just right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It it is exactly exactly there. So talk about. A little bit. What prompted you to write this particular song? Yeah, this one was kind of a joke. It started off to be a joke. And also, <laughs> I want to preface that that is like a very rough version sure. of the song. Sure. <laughs> like the the um, one that I'm working on, uh, my band is playing. It's definitely more produced. So it's going to be exciting. It's it's a little bit higher in key with, with the one I'm producing and stuff like that. And it's it's a more full like country vibe. So I originally started writing it like as a joke, I think. My friends and I were just like having a glass of wine. It was like during a maybe spring break or something like that. It was like a Wednesday. And I was like, sometimes I just joke around and like write little country songs. And so I, I that's kind of what this turned it like. This has no story in my life at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm worried that people are going to think I have a drinking problem. And I'm like, I don't have a drinking problem. <laughs> like, so, but, um, like I can sleep at night without having a glass of wine. Like I'm good. Don't worry. Uh, but I, so I started writing this as a joke and then I played it, I think for my roommates maybe. And they're like, what the heck? This is like, this could be such a cool country song. So I like, I at gigs and stuff. If my friends were there, they they started asking for this song. They're like, please just play it. And I'm like, guys, it's a joke. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to play this like song. It's not that serious. And but then I was like, you know, that's kind of like the fun part about country music is that like not everything has to be super serious. So it kind of just turned into like a bigger thing that I was expecting. And now when I play it at gigs, I have like so many people coming up to me after, and they're like, when is this song coming out? Like this song needs to come out. So that's what I'm working on this, this upcoming semester. It's going to sound a lot different than that. Um, but I, I like how when your guitar, it suggests so much of a nice drum part in there. 
Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. There's definitely, mm. it starts off mm. like, um, pretty quiet with me and the guitar. And then the band comes in like halfway through the first verse, like in, in kind of an aggressive way. So it's kind of that, that was kind of what I was trying to get across in the, in the unplugged version. And then I'm also considering doing a bluegrass version of that because I'm playing in a bluegrass in, in the oh. bluegrass ensemble. So we'll yeah. See. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. This is it's so interesting. There they help you with, well, bluegrass and I guess what do we want to say almost freestyle here. And you said something about having jazz classes too. Did you, mm-hmm. did yep. you say that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> but, but no, no classics, right? In the, in, no you know, cla- no, no, Bach and, no, we do. We have to take, um, uh, three, at least three, um, classical harmony classes. So I've taken two tonal harmony classes and then I have to take a counterpoint class. So we do just, we, int- yeah. just interested in the variety that, that I yeah. we study different forms. Yeah. We study different things. And then um, in my music therapy studies, we also are talking a lot about classical music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And, well, yeah, because Berkeley, Berkeley has a reputation for not taking that stuff seriously. And I'm glad that they, you know, they, 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 you know, cycle you through that. Well, I was just interested to see how that fit in. And also then in the music therapy classes, I'm sure that you work with things that the individuals that you work with, you can bring, bring with them for their memories and stuff like that. Yeah. I know some of the people I work with love the Lawrence Welk show or the, I mean, but something that brings to their particular time reference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's all client-based um, yeah. music preferences. Like that's usually the thing that we, we focus on, but then if a client's having a hard time making a decision um, and, or that's like a stressful activity for them is picking music that they enjoy, then the music therapist might suggest different music to, to, um, yeah. bring to the sessions and stuff like that. But yeah. And also a lot of the classical music that we talk about in our classes is during like relaxed based music therapy. So um, ah. on like receptive music therapy tasks. So um, like guided meditation or, or things like that to like mm-hmm. help with like, or a lot of like pain relief stuff we'll be talking about classical music. Yes. Yeah, so I'm imagining oh. that Gustav Mahler would not qualify for that kind of music. Uh, you know, sort of. Yeah. 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 That's right. So Megan, talk about your plans for next, for next academic year. Yeah. Kind of just the same, same old, um, you know, just really continuing with my music therapy studies. I have a lot of gigs coming up, which is really exciting. That's what I've been doing all summer is that's how I make the majority of my money is by playing a bunch of gigs and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to do some of those things in Boston. And then I'm, I'm flying home to California for a couple gigs uh, this next year. So yeah, I mean, no, you're like continuing with that. So that's cool. No, your gigs. Do you play what, what, what kind of? situations um, you know an irish pub uh, uh oh yeah it's all know, it's all the above um so like with my band um i have a band here in california and a lot of the kids how many people in it there's five of us so there's a bass okay a bass player electric guitar keyboard drums and i play acoustic and i sometimes fiddle and i also sing um so oh. we play 
Yeah, fiddle was my first instrument, so I also play Irish or like. Now listen to that. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. Um, How did so we, we not play... know that? I know. Really? Oh, that's yeah. so funny. It was my first instrument, so I, I've been playing since I was four. Oh wow! Wow, uh, it's kind of fun. But then I took a, yeah. a hiatus, but now I'm coming back. So I kind right. of, but I've been playing like you know all those like cla- like chicken fried and like those kind of <laughs> those songs so it's right. it, it's not any classical music that i'm playing but it's really fun and i'm yeah. hoping to do some Aww. some bluegrass jams once yeah. i get to boston so um yeah my band we play a lot of like different things so um this summer we were playing some bars and stuff like that um and then we um, are playing at a restaurant this on friday and then my solo gigs <laughs> I play at like uh, brunch things or like weddings or like I just got asked mm-hmm. to play at this like wine this like private winery party. So it's 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 very diverse. And whenever people are asking about like gigs and like what music I play, it can be like super different. Like the stuff I play on my own compared to what I play with my band, or if someone just wants like an acoustic guitar set then i can do that too so it's very kind of all over the place as far as the gigs that i play wow yeah i didn't realize you're fiddle playing that's that's amazing yeah. we'll have to get you Thank to you. do something fiddle fiddle wise uh yeah megan my last question for you is you've spent three years chasing your your degree in music therapy and doing all kinds of cool stuff recording music and going to spain and and mm-hmm. you know Stuff. What advice would you give somebody who's say three or four or five years behind you to prepare for where you are now? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I would just say this sounds so basic, but I, I genuinely mean it. Is just to like do everything you can and like don't hold back because I think that like a lot of people at Berkeley, I've heard or like in general in college, when I hear them talk about like especially study abroad, they're like, oh, I'll just do study abroad, like in next year or something, or like, that's kind of the response to like a lot of um, opportunities, like, oh, I'll just try it next year. But it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, and the opportunities that presented itself, like do it while you can in college and just like play in as many bands as you can, or like take as many gigs as you can do study abroad, like get to know your professors. That's also another thing that I don't think a lot of people like realize is that the professors at Berkeley are such a wonderful network and they've been in the music industry for a while and they know what they're doing. So like ask as many questions and get to know your professors. Cause they're really, really cool people a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so that that's been, yeah, I guess that's the advice that I have is just like, if you're going to go to Berkeley or if you're going to do college, like do it well and do it like with a hundred percent. Yeah. Just like never say no to an opportunity that could be, the door that opens up so many other things for you in life. So that's what how the professor's been uh, with regards to your disability. Um, really good. Yeah. Really great. Most of the time there's been, obviously there's been a couple where I'm like, uh, I definitely need to do some education here. Um, but <laughs> yes. um, I think you're going to run into those people everywhere you go. True. Unfortunately, Good practice, right? Good practice. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing I've realized is that like over communicate with professors and that's what I've done. And most, most professors at Berkeley have taught at least one or two blind people, but each um, visually impaired or blind person's um, needs in a classroom are going to be different. So 
um, over explaining and over communicating has gone me really far with my professors. And I've learned how to work with people that haven't had any experience um, and may have some different view or like, you know, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times that they think you need a lot more than we actually do. And like a lot of people treat you like a, a baby or something like right, that. patronizing. Yeah. Right. It's like my eyes don't work, but my brain sure does. So let's yeah. let's work on that together. <laughs> so yeah, I, definitely the majority of my experiences at Berkeley with professors and my disability have been outstanding. That's wonderful. Uh, and I, I'm up for, I, right. I forgot. I need to ask you two more questions. One is, how are you planning to publicize your music? That's a great question, Peter. <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know because I need, I'm social media and I are becoming friends and I, at me as a marketer for myself have not, I'm not a TikTok girly. I, I like have a TikTok and I make certain things like that, but I definitely have been working on that and I need some guidance as far as marketing for myself. But at this point I've just been you know, posting on my social medias and I did a radio interview when it first came out and they played, they've been playing it on the, the radio in Santa Barbara, which has been really cool. And then also just all at all the gigs I play at, um, I usually announce when I'm playing in the original and I have business cards out there. So a lot of it is word of mouth. And then my last question for you is you're going to graduate in uh, the spring of 2025. In an ideal world, what would you want to do after graduation? At this point, there's like two paths that I could go in. If this whole becoming a musician, touring and writing music, that would be really cool. I'd love to do that. But then I also, my heart is totally with music therapy. And I would love to open up my own practice here in Santa Barbara because there's not a lot. There's like maybe one music therapist here. And I think that everyone should have access to music therapy and the communities around here don't have enough of that. So I'd love to open up my own practice. My passion is really with developmental delays or autism or cerebral palsy and and folks that may have some of those disabilities. And that's what I I would love to um, open up a coffee shop as well that has music therapy offices in the back but also provides meaningful employment for different people's um, special needs or disabilities, because there's also a lack of that in our society for finding meaningful employment for those who struggle with um, maybe getting a traditional job. So yeah, no, that's a real, that's a real issue. Megan, it's been a privilege having you on our podcast and we're so glad that you found us and we found you for, and gave (laughs) gave, uh, you a scholarship. And we look forward to working with you on the board and other capacities over the next year and a half and, and further. I know. I'm so excited, Peter. It's been so lovely connecting with all of you and I'm very excited to be working with you guys in the future. Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Media. It airs several times a week on ACB Media One. To listen and for a full schedule, go to acbmedia.org slash one. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org. And please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. We'll be back next month.